My name is Jim Derrick, and today on Chapters, we're going to focus on the human impact of our nation's number one health epidemic, the opioid crisis. Today in studio, we have Katie Truitt, who lost her son Matthew in 2012 to an overdose. Katie courageously shares her story with the hope that others hearing this may learn from her experience. This show is dedicated to Matthew Bertulli. Welcome, Katie, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Jim. Um, we met uh, several years ago at a walk for uh, Matthew, in memory of Matthew, called Miss and Matt. Miss and Matt. In, uh, in Milford, downtown Milford. It was a great turnout that mm-hmm. day. Uh, I had I don't believe I met you before then. I think we met at, uh, at a meeting one time. We may have met I, yes, just briefly. Yes, we chatted, yes. But I, I never really, honestly, that day was so tremendous. Yes, it uh, really was. You didn't know the story. I didn't so. know the story behind the yes. story. Yeah. And uh, the day was as much a celebration of Matthew's life and an opportunity for your family to gather and for friends to, to meet and to get to know Matthew yes. through you all yes. Yes. as it was to raise awareness. It was so important to raise awareness. Yeah. I, I, that's the reason why we wanted to have a walk was to say, if this could happen to my Matt or to our Matt, it can happen to your son and daughter too. And we need to talk about this. We need to start talking about this. Um, you know, I remember when Matt was in the eighth grade, he, he went to Hopedale schools, you know, all the way up until the eighth grade, he started to go to Milford schools. Um, and I found a bag of marijuana mm-hmm. and I thought, Oh my God, this is terrible. This is terrible. But I truly was that that mom that thought, okay, kids go through this. Yep. This is a phase that he's going through. Uh, Matt's dad at the time uh, was a sergeant on a police department. And, you know, that kind of gave me the, a comforting feeling saying, okay, well, this is just going to be a phase and this isn't going to go anywhere because we're really good parents sure. and we grew up in a great home and, sure. and we're both educated and we know what we're doing. And, and, and Matthew had, uh, you, you were living the normal yes. suburban life. Yes, absolutely. This is a, a, a quiet country town. Mm-hmm. Had everything you wanted. Everything you wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, stable jobs, stable yes. parents. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful friends. A lot of friends. A lot, Had of, a lot friends. of friends. Right. Yeah. So, so when you find marijuana at that point in time, mm-hmm. what are you thinking? I'm thinking, okay, kids go through this. Yeah. All right. I'm going to yell at him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, we're going to punish him and just tell him not to do this anymore. Um, and put it behind us. Uh, but I, you know, my initial reaction was, that, oh my God, you're so young. This is not. How old was Matthew at the Eighth time? grade. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Okay. Um, not unusual. Not unusual. But I had that mentality that, you know, all kids go through this. Sure. I really did. Um, I didn't I didn't understand about addiction. I did not understand about the change in changing personalities. You know, I I wasn't the mom that was looking to see, oh, the friends are starting to change a little bit or, you know, he's spending a little more time alone in his room and right. things like this. Um, I didn't pick up on those things. I really didn't. I didn't even pick up on. Another episode that happened when he was a freshman, he went over to a friend's house and the parents went home and he got drunk. And I can remember thinking, this is not right. This is this. Now I'm really concerned. This he's too young to be getting drunk. But I was told, you know, this is normal. Kids go through this stuff. 
And, and, and what year would, would this have been? That He was a freshman in high school. Freshman in high school. So you're talking before, prior to 2010, you're talking about um, back in 08 or so? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So this wasn't everyday conversation. No. In terms of addiction. No. No. I didn't. No one used the words opiates, opioids, heroin. Heroin was some, that happened in places I never even heard of. That happened to people, sadly, who didn't have a family and had nowhere to turn. That did not happen in the small town of Hopedale. Wasn't even on your radar. Nope. And, you know, statistics show that back in 2008, um, we talked about the numbers locally, opioid fatalities in Norfolk County alone. I'll just right here at home where, the, where we're broadcasting from. We'll go over 220 this year. Um Back in 08, there might have been 45 to 50 fatalities. It really wasn't on people's radar. No, it wasn't on mine. It, it truly wasn't. I sadly had those blinders on. This is not going to happen to my child. That that I was that mom. That happens to other people. It does not happen to me. Sure. Um, which is really sad because I think that stopped me from seeing the truth, mm-hmm. the truth of things that, you know, were, were to be. You know, and as Matt got older, he went into, his dad and I did get divorced, but we, we were still parenting together, and we, he started his college career. He was going to UMass Boston, and the drinking was progressing there. And again, it's that, well, he's in college, you know. So, so he, he originally started, you, you figure, marijuana around eighth grade. Mm-hmm. But he managed to, to mm-hmm. keep his grades to a point where he was passing. Mm-hmm. Heck, he managed to get into college. This mm-hmm. was a college-bound yep. student Very, very bright young man. Yep. Very bright young man. Um, and had uh, he was so well-liked, and he, he had a little bit of a, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips attitude. <laughs> That's Matt. Um <laughs> And, you know, that's that's the truth. I mean, that's how he was. So when he started college and the, the drinking started to escalate, again, it's that, well, okay, he's in college, he's experimenting, all, all kids kind of do this. And that's not true. Not all kids do that. Um, so, you know, I, I remember, I, I went to college a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it wasn't... Back in that, in those days, Animal House, the fraternity yeah. landscape, binge drinking is mm-hmm. what we would call it. That mm-hmm. was not only expected, but encouraged yes. by young people and adults, too. Yeah. You know, you'd hear parents sort of say, well, you know how the kids go. It's, it's Sunday morning. They won't be able to get them up mm-hmm. because they're hungover, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, was that still pre- pre- prevalent back uh, in 08, 09? I, I don't really know. I just know that... When we would visit Matt or, you know, when I think the first sign, in all honesty, when I start to think about it is, you know, he started to struggle with the actual schoolwork. He was not getting through college. And when we went to go see him there, you know, it was the typical beer cans everywhere in his apartment and things like that. And then it just, it just it ended up that he just couldn't fin- he couldn't complete school. Sure. He wanted to leave school. Um, which should have been another red flag. And what and what year was he? Freshman year. Freshman year. Yeah, okay. freshman year. He did not even make it through his freshman year. Um, he wanted to start working, so we, you know, we supported him in things that he wanted to do. Um, sadly, though, I think when he was about nineteen or twenty, he was working for for a company and he fell off a ladder, and he broke his wrist. Wow! And he was given Percocet. 
I for did that. not know that. Okay. Yes. And I personally believe that's when I believe that addiction was there, but I believe once he started with the Percocet, it took on a whole, it reared its ugly head. So it really, this whole overprescription of opioids and, and we have, if people want to look it up, there's, there's tremendous amount of information. There's a great book out, out called Dreamland by Sam Quinones, which is about the pharmaceutical industry's marketing to our doctors uh, and, and going to this new vital sign, which is a smiley face all the way down to yeah. the frown frown face and treating to pain. And a lot of doctors, actually not a lot of doctors, the conventional training by pharmaceutical companies were, were that opioids, if used, prescribed by doctors for pain, were not particularly harmful and certainly not addictive. So in this case, here's Matthew, who's uh, an addict, mm-hmm. uh, drinking, he's mm-hmm. using other drugs, and now he's he's exposed to Percocet, yes. which is synthetic heroin. Yes. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because he was using other drugs. He was using cocaine and that I did not know about. Sadly, I found these things out um, after um, but once he started with the Percocet, that is when the whole per- complete personality change took place. Okay, complete. so you, you saw a major shift. A major shift. Uh, again, as I said, his dad and I were divorced. Um, I, I was remarried, and he, I started to suspect some things going on, and I was given some information that things were going on, and I would confront him. And I I had no idea, again, about opioids, opioids, nothing. But it was enough of a personality change that I was concerned. And I can remember saying, Matt, something's going on. Mm -hmm. And I got his dad together and the three of us sat down and we're like, Matt, this is not normal behavior. What is going on? And someone had told me they saw him taking a pill and crushing it Mm -hmm. and snorting it. And I confronted him with that. And of course, sadly, you know, it's the, the, he needs to he needed to defend himself so that the addiction could survive. And he's mom, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. You know, leave me alone. I'm fine. I'm fine. Can I stop you there sure. for a minute? Because I think that's a really important point. Uh, and that's um, I hear from parents all the time. They're struggling with this. And uh, and that's the manipulation and the impact of addiction mm-hmm. and what it does to an addict mm-hmm. and the need for that drug addiction to survive within the addict is so strong yep. that your beautiful loved one yep. can will be overtaken yep. to the point where they're manipulative, they lie. And what, what was that like for you? Oh, it was so that? sad. Well, when, when I was going through it, I took it all completely personal. Mm-hmm. I said, what am I doing wrong as a mother? I'm a bad mother. You know, why are you treating me like this? Don't you know how much I love you? I had no idea that the lying, the manipulation, all of that was simply so his addiction could survive. Mm. You know, my son was there. He was in there, the kind, loving. I mean, Matt was a mama's boy, you know. Sure. Um, but he was still there, but he was literally taken, taken over by addiction. Right. So in order for his addiction to continue to survive, the lying, the manipulating, that's all normal behavior for someone who suffers from addiction. And would you say, Katie, that's that's something that, keeps parents it makes it difficult for treatment to occur real treatment to occur because people see it as a personality problem absolutely i would say the early signs that that is definitely one of the things um oh they're a teenager they're you know they go through different things it's you know a growing phase or whatever but yeah i would i would definitely say that stops 
And and as a mom, I, I know as a dad, I, I shouldn't speak, but I, I think mothers have a different um, a different take on on how to their role and responsibility in bringing up kids. I, I do think that there can oftentimes be differences. And I can imagine as a mom, you're thinking, I'm going to talk him out of taking drugs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not and not only was that my thought process and my actions, I was trying to do that. I was so heartbroken because he stopped talking to me. He didn't want to talk to me anymore. So I was the mom that would kept going to his house and knocking on the door and sending the text messages and calling constantly, constantly being taking it so personally and rather than understanding that he was sick and he needed help. Sure. And it, the best thing I could have done was to get help for myself. And then I could have, you know, I don't, I try not to live my life in the could ofs, um, but I can't help but think if I had known then what I know now about addiction, I don't know, I don't believe the outcome would have been different, but I just, I think I could have showed up better. That's a really important point. And, and I, we're going to talk a lot about that later on. Um, uh, I'm curious about his father's, uh, because I know there's in, in most, a lot of families, there's two different approaches to to parenting. One person's the disciplinarian. The other yep. person can be the soft landing place. Yep. As that plays out with addiction, did you see that type of um, dynamic playing out where there was a difference between you and, and Matthew's dad? Completely. When I, as things progressed, I did start to understand a little bit about addiction. And the one thing that I did know, it was that, for instance, I was not going to give my son any money at all, ever, because I was afraid where it was going. Um, his dad didn't understand that and, you know, gave Matthew a lot of things. Sadly, Matthew did get into some trouble because of his addiction and he was never made to be accountable for that. Um, which, you know, as a parent, I think it's a natural instinct to try to prevent our children from being in pain or going through pain or making those choices that we know are going to cause them pain. But in, when it comes to addiction, by allowing them to have their own consequences and experience their own pain, that's what causes them to change. So that's, what I hear you saying is it would be like taking a type 1 diabetic and feeding them sugar all day. Yeah. That's, that's the equivalent to enabling behavior. Yes. For, it fans the flames yeah. of addiction, yeah. just like sugar would flam, mm-hmm. fan the flames of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And so when you have somebody that's, that's sick with addiction, um, enabling behaviors, uh, to name one problem, uh, is something that, and trying to keep people from avoiding consequences, yep. trying to keep people safe and warm and comfortable, just allows them to continue, continue. allows their disease to, right. to flourish. Yeah, you're helping the disease. You're mm-hmm. not helping your loved one. Yeah. You're helping the disease. Yeah. And um, it's a, it's a, the family gets very, very sick during very this process, sick. don't they? Extremely sick. Can my, you talk to me about that a little sure. bit? Sure. I mean, I can remember my, my sick thinking, thinking brought me to, I can fix this. Mm-hmm. I can change this. I can fix this. I can take um, Matt and just get him fixed. And, you know, I had all the power to be able to do that simply because I was his mom. That is completely wrong thinking. Um, I've come to learn that, whether you're my son, my daughter, or my husband, or anyone, I'm completely powerless over what you choose to do. Um, but that that has come with a lot, a lot of my own recovery. I'm sure. Um, yeah. 
but and, and like I said earlier, I think too, you know, with when because I didn't have education, everything that he did or my other family members did, I took it personally. I thought they didn't love me. I thought they were mad at me. I thought I wasn't doing a good job as a parent. And that couldn't be further than the truth. They still love me. You know, it's just that they were sick. Sure. So if I understood that, and I also understood that I needed help, you know, the, uh, that maybe the best thing for me would be to step away and let people, you know, there's a saying that I like to say, and I happen to believe it's true. Can I love you enough to let you have your own experience? You know, that to me is the true unconditional love. Sure. You know, I'm going to love you and I'm going to let you have this own experience. You choose recovery. I am there for you. I am there for you supporting your recovery 100%, but I can't make that choice for you. You know, Katie, um, one of the things that I, I didn't want to gloss over is is Matthew as a young man growing up. You, you, you mentioned all that in a bag of chips, and mm. that's one of my favorite favorite phrases of yours. Um, but he, w- he had a tremendous smile. Yes. Um, a lot of fun and a lot of friends. Yes. A lot and, of friends. and I really want to emphasize that this is not someone who looked like they were a troublemaker no. that were that was buried in no. despair from a very young no. boy. Quite the opposite. Yes. Yeah. Dressed to the T all the time. Dressed to the nines. Yep. You shared with me earlier that one of his favorite bands is The Temptations. Yeah. And, and, you know, you show me a, a young man at 18 years of age or younger that, that's into the temptations yeah. and I'll show you a cool guy. Yeah. Very know? cool guy. So this is a yeah. fun loving. Yes. Well-adjusted yeah. athlete. Yes. A uh, little bit. Yeah. When he was a little bit younger, he was in, the, in football. Sure. Not so much when he was in high school, yeah. but when he, he did the Pop Warner football. Um, Matt, Matt was the type of kid that, you know, his older brother was five years older than him. And so when his older brother wanted to do something. Yeah. He would have to learn to do it. Matt would pick it up like that. Yeah. You know, skateboarding. He loved to skate. He was a phenomenal skateboarding. One time he came home and he said, I want to start learning how to play the drums. And we're like, really? You're... So we went out. We got him a drum set. He was a phenomenal drum drummer. Self-taught. Oh, yeah. Well, he took lessons, but it was a natural gift. He just had all these natural gifts that came to him. And, you know, I think it, I, the reason I think that's, and thank you for sharing that, yeah. because, and, and I'd like to post uh, a picture of Matt on, yeah. on the podcast's uh, website. You know, it's so important that, that we're dealing today with a lot of stigma relative to yes. uh, uh, substance use disorder. And and that stigma plays out in a variety of ways. But one of those is that you can pick a drug addict out of a crowd. Nope. And you can't. You cannot. And by the way, you can't pick parents of drug addicts out of a crowd. There is no such such set type of no. people. No, um, And, you know, that's one of the myths that, that thank you for helping us break that down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, Matthew uh, was a very joyful young man. Yes. You're a joyful yeah. person yeah. Uh, from a happy family. So... Back to to your story. Um, he is uh, now snorting Percocet mm. um, and clearly has a problem. Now, and yeah. and your your family is is Torn really apart. becoming hostage to yes. this to this disease. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sadly, you know, um, Matthew did put himself into rehab, unbeknownst to me. Um, and when I found out. Uh, that he had done that is still I'm not understanding I was 
thinking, okay, he's having a hard time with like cocaine or drinking, that type of addiction. I did not, not, I did not understand that his body had been addicted to the opioids. Opioids. And opioids, uh, describe, it's different. It's different than any other drug out there relative to its physical dependency. Right. That, that, that develops. That's what I've heard. I mean, I, I have become educated since. Um, but what is so sad is the body becomes so addicted that as soon as the withdrawals start, they become extremely sick, immediately sick. Um, I'll never forget one time Matthew was living, came to live with myself and my husband, and he was going to the methadone clinic. And I still, as a parent, did not understand this whole methadone clinic business and what was going on with his body. I did not understand that, but I knew enough that he had to get there at a certain time every day. And if he didn't get there, he was going to be sick. And this one particular time, he there was a snowstorm and he couldn't make it out of the driveway to get to the clinic. And I was working in Newton and I called my dad to go get him and he was, he was late. And my dad went down to get him, picked Matt up to bring him to the methadone clinic in Milford. And, uh, he got out of the car and he immediately started vomiting and collapsing because he was immediately going into withdrawal. And that just breaks my heart because my dad had to see that. You know, my dad had to help him walk in. And now we're starting to, to, to talk about the ripple effects. Mm. This is not a, a, a disease that keeps itself contained within no. mom and dad and the no. nuclear family. This expands out to everyone. grandparents, cousins, everyone. uncles, aunts, friends. Everyone. Uh, everybody is impacted yeah. when, when, when someone suffers from the disease yeah. of addiction. And yeah. so now you have your dad. Mm-hmm. Who who sees how sick his grandson is? Yep, and and, and we still don't. It's powerless. Yeah, it doesn't powerless. understand. No, yeah. we don't understand. And it's and, no longer about Matthew getting high. This is about or anybody else that's that's addicted yeah. to opioids. This is about Surviv- staying not sick. Exactly, surviving. Just just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the saddest things that Matthew was told was that you just need to stop doing what you're doing. You know, this is this was told to him by a, fa- a prominent family member. Just sure. stop doing what you're doing and you'll be fine. And I can't imagine what Matt was going through because you can't do this alone. Family members cannot do this alone. And nor do people can people who suffer from addiction do this alone. You need support. You need help. You need people who are going through what you're going through. You need people to share their experience. And you had touched upon a little bit about Matt's friends. And just to help people understand how deceiving this disease is, Matt's best friend that he grew up with, I'm talking from the time they were like in second grade and kindergarten, had no idea that Matt was suffering from addiction, drug addiction. No idea until he came to see Matthew in the hospital. That's how well you can hide if you really want to hide your addiction. So the, so his best friend his in life. His best friend and, and in they, life. And they saw each other regularly. They talked almost every day. He did tell me that he started noticing some personality changes sure. here and there. Um, but he was shocked when he got the call that Matt was in the hospital and that he had overdose. Sure. He had so no idea. Matthew did try yes. rehab. Yes. He did try. He tried the methadone clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he then he tried Suboxone. He did that for a while. And I think he was doing well 
Uh, he when he was taking the suboxone, he worked near where I worked, so we saw each other a lot. And then I noticed another. The anxiety was coming back. He was getting overwhelmed and things like that. And he lost his job. Um, and then he got another job working where I work now in Milford. And he was doing really well for a while. He seemed to have been doing well. Um, but I think because he didn't have the fellowship and he didn't have people that he could actually talk to, um, things not didn't, you know, it, the addiction took over. Sure. And, and he did what he only knew to do. You know, and that was, you know, he needed, he needed something to feel okay. Right, right. He needed something. Right. Those had to have been very dark days for you uh, leading up to, to 2012. Yeah. Remember 2012? Because yeah. you're, you're real, you, you must be realizing that you're not in control of this. No, no. I would cry constantly and just, uh, you know, cause I, I think what I'm so sad about was I truly believed that Matt did have a problem and no one would listen to me. Mm -hmm. No one wanted to hear me. No one wanted to, um, I was the bad guy. You know, there's a good guy and the bad guy. I was the bad guy that's saying, there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here. Um, you know, this shouldn't be happening. I'll never forget when, again, when Matt came to live with us, uh, I knew that methadone clinic he had to get there. And one night he went out with all his buddies they went out for the night, and the next day, he didn't go to the clinic, and he was fine, and he wasn't sick. And I told him, I said, Matt, I love you, but you can't live here yeah, because you're not okay, and I'm not going to help you hurt yourself. Sure. And that... So the level of pain is, is unimaginable when you see your loved one going through something like this. Yes. Um, you know, and there's a reason why, and, and you know, that's another... I guess stigma or misunderstanding, whatever you want to call it, is that people could just talk themselves out of this. This is as real of an illness as leukemia, yep. as uh, a type one diabetes, you name it. Uh, it is not something that simply goes away that you can just stop doing overnight. There's a reason why the halls of AA, NA are filled. Right. And they're filled oftentimes with people that have been 30 years clean and sober yep. that still go to more than one meeting a week. And there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. It's a chronic disease that without treatment will result in disability and or death. That's right. And that describes a whole ton of illnesses out there. Yet here you are sadly being kind of ostracized and blamed every time you bring it up because my gosh, you're talking about something my that son. we can't get your yeah, son my that, son he can't be that bad no no it kind and of mirrors what's going on in society today it is i mean sadly if matt had cancer i would have people and support surrounding me 24 7 right. but because you say the word addiction or my son suffers from you know he's using heroin or abusing pills all of a sudden those people aren't there for you anymore because it's like, well, what did you do wrong? Right. What did you do wrong? Oh, I know. It's because you got divorced, right? See, we're not divorced, so that's not going to happen to my son or daughter. That's a lie. That's not reality. It's not reality at all. No, it's not. It, it had nothing to do with whether you're divorced or not. This is a disease. Um, and that's why it's so important that we continue talking about this, because if we don't talk about it, people are not going to ask for help. Parents aren't going to ask for help, and people who suffer from addiction won't ask for help. And that's really what I started to talk about earlier. The definition of courage is walking through fear. And 
to say Katie's courageous would be an understatement. She shares her story and shares it often for just that reason. And, and it's an important conversation to keep having. I can't stress it enough because just like you said, um, if we don't keep talking about it, people do, it, it's a disease of isolation. Yes. It, you Absolutely. don't, there is no, there are no, you don't get, get well cards. You're not going to get nope. flowers and balloons when somebody is, is sick and, and mm-hmm. in rehab or, or is in the hospitalized due to an overdose. It just, it just doesn't happen. No. So, um, so if you would, the, the disease progresses, you excuse him from the house unless, unless he's going to enter recovery you're Absolutely. not going to you're not going to fan the flames no. anymore Mm-mm. and uh, that was what around 2011 or so i would say closer to 2010 2010 mm-hmm. okay and at that point matthew goes out and where where does he live he lives in milford okay yeah with his dad okay so yeah. he, he he goes back to his dad yeah. um and you know things he as i said i think it was i think he continued to struggle um and then I think he was doing really well for a while. Um, he loved his job. He loved the people that Matt worked with. Just love this kid. Still it's, do. I know. It's just, uh, it's amazing. Um, and then he, you know, the people at work told me that they started to notice another, the personality change, you know, um, coming. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, sorry. <laughs> um I was sitting in my own meeting, you know, because by now I knew I needed help. I knew I needed help. But addiction is just completely all around me. And I started going to meetings and family support and getting the help that I needed, you know, from other family members. And I was in a meeting uh, and then Matt was driving to Rhode Island. And that's when, um, sadly, one of the kids he went to high school with uh, became you know, suffers from addiction, became a drug dealer, and he drove down to see him, and he overdosed. And uh, so uh, this young man was afraid to call 911, and he waited too long. Uh, By the time um, EMTs got there, uh, they were able to get Matthew's heart beating again. Mm -hmm. And he was brought to Providence, Rhode Island Hospital. Yeah. 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 And so that that begins the longest night, I'm sure, of your life. Oh, uh, it was four days. Four days. Four days. Uh, that was a Tuesday night, and uh, we let him go Saturday morning. Saturday morning, yeah. And you know, I, I the, the the story that as we continue this story, it's it's a remarkable story of resilience and recovery that you have, Katie, mm-hmm. and that you share with people. Um, I hope you don't mind me telling people that you share the fact that what you feel today is just pure pain, pure pain. And that may sound odd to people the first time they hear it, they hear it. Uh, it did to me. Yeah. But what that means is that you've gone on to, to live into your own recovery, which actually started before Matthew Mm -hmm. suffered a fatal overdose. You were, you were in recovery for your own. Yes. Yes. Codependency. Yes. Using a 12 step program. Yes. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that, in the hospital, I, I had enough recovery that that was a very beautiful moment because I, I wasn't angry and I was able to accept what was going to happen because I knew I was powerless over what was going to happen. So it was actually a very beautiful 
for as strange as that may sound, moment, and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. And when I talk about the pure pain, what I mean is I don't make Matt's addiction about me. Um, it wasn't that he did anything to hurt me or hurt his dad or hurt anybody. Um, so my pure pain simply is that I miss him so much. Right, right. So pure pain as opposed to regret. Regret, anger. I wish I had. Yep. Anger. Somebody did something I wrong. Have, I should have. If only have. this person had done that or... Uh, Matt's dad had done something else or you had done something right. else. You're not living in that. No. You don't no. have one foot in the past no. or two feet in the past. No, not at all. No. And I'm I, so grateful for that. It, what a gift. What a gift. You've given yourself. Yep. By working really, really hard. Yeah, really hard. <laughs> yeah. You have a wonderful fellowship of people. I do. And uh, I know that um, oftentimes people during times of tragedy or difficult things have asked me, you know, where's God in this? I mm -hmm. think my kids have, have said that to me from time to time. And there were oftentimes I was at a loss for words. And I remember some, someone saying to me or hearing that phrase one time while someone was experiencing difficult, difficult time. And they said, I'm looking at a reflection of God in your eyes. Mm. And, um, I think nowhere, nowhere is that more true with this illness. Mm hmm that you have a fellowship of people that you have surrounded yourself with, mm -hmm. uh, that you're an integral part of, that are fighting this fight, that you are locking arms with and helping, mm -hmm. and in turn getting your own help. This can't be done alone, can no, it? No, no, no. Just, this is a family disease. And I think sometimes we can get caught, so caught up in the focus on the one that is suffering from addiction that the family can be completely forgotten about. And if it's a family disease, everyone needs to be in recovery. If you have a family member that's suffering from addiction, the best thing that you can do for that family member is to get help yourself. You get your help. You get your, your fellowship you go to places where you can tell when you can tell your story and you're not alone. Um, you'll hear people share their experience, strength, and hope. Um, and and in a sense, you let your loved one go and and have their experience while you're getting help yourself. And that's a very slippery slope to say you let your loved one go. I've heard so many parents say, "Well, what do you mean? I'm just going to let them go." overdose and, and, and just die. And my response to that is you have no power. You have no control over stopping someone from doing what they're going to do. There's a powerful part of this story that illustrates, um, and I've heard you tell it before, that illustrates just what you were speak, you're speaking of. And that's that um, Matthew came home that night that he was, that he was uh, going to overdose. Yes. And you excused him from the house because he was high. Yes. And that was your boundary. Yes. And I set that boundary. Right. And the fact of the matter is that Matthew was going to overdose with or without you letting him into the mm -hmm. house. In fact, he may have succumbed more quickly to this illness, mm -hmm. probably would have based mm -hmm. on what we know about addiction, mm -hmm. had you allowed him to live with you. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, I found out later, sadly, that he was stealing from me. Um, and I did. I set that boundary. And I have a very, very clear boundary. You cannot use drugs and live in my home. Right. No matter who you are. Right. Now, the average person, 
mm-hmm. w- might say, my gosh, you could have kept him safe that night. Mm-hmm. And, 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 the, and, and again, this, this takes a lot of time to absorb, but I've had time with you, thankfully, um, to learn this, that, um, that you, you say with, with, with complete 100% confidence from the depths of who you are that you wouldn't have changed one thing. Nope. That night? Nope. At all? No. And because you did not have any control over his illness. I did not want to help his sickness. I was not going to make his addiction easier by allowing him to go out and use that night and continue to stay and live with me and provide him with a bed and breakfast and, and whatever it is, a nice warm place to stay. That was giving his addiction the opportunity to continue living. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do that for anyone. I won't. Right. And, and you know, uh, addiction experts everywhere. People mm. pay enormous sums of money to go to uh, some very good rehabs that are out there. And, and it doesn't take a lot of money to go on the Internet and just look at some very good scholarly articles about uh, the treatment of addiction. And all of them agree that what you describe is exactly the right strategy, that mm-hmm. enabling is the quickest way to keep somebody in the state that they're in, which That's is right. in addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the quickest way, frankly, to have somebody succumb to the illness That's is right. to have enabling behaviors going on around them. Right. So not only, it, it's just, it's it's such a difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around, Yeah. but the science is in on it and uh, experience is in on it. Absolutely. And so, but the only way people can do it, and you mentioned this earlier, is in fellowship because it's such a difficult thing to do, it's right? It's so hard. Yeah. It is. It goes against everything that we've, that society tells us. Society can, tells us as parents, we are to take care of our children. Right. No matter what, no matter how old they are, no matter what kind of trouble they get in. Um, and that, and that's just not true. And, you know, I, if we, if you're lucky enough to have a child or a spouse or a loved one get into rehab, get that opportunity to start their life and, you know, start a new way of living. I can guarantee you that no rehab, no recovery place tells our loved ones that when you're in trouble, you call your mother or father or you call your aunt so-and-so or your grandparents because they're the ones that are going to help you. No, they're the ones that are going to help your addiction but if you really want recovery, you, you, you get yourself in a fellowship and you stay with that fellowship and then your family comes after that. Mm. And, and that, and that uh, you can go through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in there does it say turn to mom or dad or anybody. And I'm just repeating what you're saying for emphasis. But um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about resources for parents because, uh, you know, I, I wish... I wish that I'd had somebody like you in my life earlier, but, but that said, um, I'm glad that we met Me and too. I'm glad, I'm glad that we have the fellowship that we have, mm-hmm. but I'd like, I'd like just to mention a couple of things, if you would, about, uh, resources in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely learn to cope. That is uh, a huge, um, meeting. There's one right here in Franklin that I attend every Monday night. Uh, it's a, it's a fellowship. You find people there that are going through the exact same things that you're going through. Um, and it's a wonderful place for resource, you know, um, for if you are, you know, trying to help someone get into rehab, they have uh, they have a wonderful 
website, and they also have a lot of experience, strength, and hope. Sure. Um, and that's uh, that's you can find meetings in your area at www.learnthenumeral2cope.org. Correct. So there's meetings all over the state all of Massachusetts. Over. Yeah, yeah. And then I I started my my little road to recovery in another. 12-step program, and then I took it a little bit deeper because um, I I needed help. I, I needed help. Regardless of what everyone else is going through, I really needed help. So, um, you know, my sponsor, I have a sponsor, and uh, this sponsor took me through the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I use that. I don't know if I'm supposed to say it on the radio, but I just did. Um, I use that because I suffer from addiction. I'm addicted to my loved ones. It's your experience. It's my experience. So. And and, um, and the amazing thing, you know, the first time someone hears that, they may say, well, what relevance would that have to me? Mm. The 12 steps, that is. Mm-hmm. Uh the fact of the matter is it has tremendous relevance. It's the obsession of the mind. It's the obsession of the mind to go back and fix that loved one. That is a parent's drug of choice yep. in, in That's most right. oftentimes. And when I say parent, I shouldn't limit it to parents. It's siblings, Spouse. loved ones, mm-hmm. spouses, grandparents. But you become so dependent mm-hmm. on that loved one and on fixing what's wrong with them that you literally get sick. That's right. And your fix mm-hmm. Your fix is to reach out to them and to try to call them and fix them. Yep. That is your drug. It becomes yep. your drug of choice. That's right. That's right. I think it's so sad that I, when I think back about I became so addicted to some of my loved ones. I was so sick and I looked sick. I was not. I couldn't function right at work. I had lost so much weight. I wasn't living life. I was reacting to life but I certainly wasn't living life. And one particular loved one said to me, it used to hurt me so much to see what I was doing to you. And I don't have that right to do that to someone. Right. You know, like I said, my gift, what I can do to my loved ones who are sick is to take care of myself. Right. You know, they're struggling with their stuff. I don't need to add guilt to that. I don't need to be a reminder. Look what you've done to me. Look, I can't even go to work today. Look, I can't eat. You know, what are you doing to me? I can't imagine the amount of guilt that someone who suffers from addiction and all that addiction destroys. I can't imagine the amount of guilt that they live with to begin with. I don't have a right to add to that. So well put. John, State Representative John Fernandez was at the Miss and Matt walk, mm-hmm. and I will never forget what he said. Mm-hmm. He said there's really two de- deaths that a family often suff- suffers, two losses. The first is the, is the first loss, which is uh, Matthew's uh, fatal overdose, and then the second loss would be when we stop talking That's about right. them. And the goal is to n- never stop talking never stop. About, uh, about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's something that you do beautifully. Um, you share stories. Uh, mm-hmm. of Matthew, you smile. I can see his smile and your smile and vice versa. Um, but I think that's really important is that we that we recognize that we keep talking about our loved yes. ones because they're they're here with us. Yes. And and they only are gone when we say they're gone, if we stop talking about them. Right. Well, you know, it this is a battle that we're actually in with this opioid epidemic going on. And there's so many parents now that have lost a child to this. I'm speaking directly to parents and children that have lost a child due to this. And what I like to think is, you know, our job is not done because our child is not here. We are still wanting to help. So we want 
to tell our story. I want to talk about Matt because Matt's story might just help one person. That's all. If it just helps one person, I'd be so happy. But I'm going to keep talking about him. And I know so many other parents that want to talk about their their son, their daughter, whomever. Um, you know, they're not here physically in this battle, but they're with us. So every time I talk, it's all for Matt. And, you know, Katie, it reminds me, there, there was that scene in, I think it's St. Elmo's Fire, where they can't say the word cancer out loud at the table because it's it's the bad word. Yeah. And, and it kind of reminds me of that, that, that you know, pe- people have a difficult enough time when there's an illness in a family. What do I say? I'm not sure yeah. what to say. When you lose a child to this illness, yeah. I can only imagine that people start really hesitating to come up and, you know, gee, I don't know what to say, number right. one. And if I bring up Matthew's name, is is that going to hurt Katie mm. or help her? And, and these are good intention people. Right. These are wonderful, loving people. Yeah. But the message is, please ask oh, me about Matthew. Always ask me about Matthew. And, and you know what? Tears are okay. I love to cry about Matt. Yeah. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, so exactly. it's okay. Don't worry if I cry. And, and another myth that I want to dispel is that uh, you can't go on and live a happy and healthy and joyful life after you lose somebody. Yeah. Um, and, and somebody as important as Matthew and, yeah. and as your child, you are a joyful person. Mm. You're a great friend. Ah, thanks. Um, I I, uh, I know your husband. I know you're a great wife. You're, you're a great grandmom. You have beautiful <laughs> grandchildren. Yeah. But you live a really happy life. I do. I do. I actually have a very full life, and I am happy. There's a part of my heart that is gone. Um, it's not gone. I would just describe it as it's, it's missing right now temporarily. Um, but because I believe in being in recovery for the rest of my life and doing what I do for the rest of my life, I don't have a bad life. Mm-hmm. I don't. I have met people, incredible people, who understand me, who understand my pain. Um, I can call anyone in my fellowship anytime during the day, and they'll pick that phone up and they'll listen to me. Right. And that's only because of that that I can say that I do have a good life. In fact, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they said, hey, I saw your friend Katie out the other night dancing. Yes, the, I did go you dancing. Know, you were saying to me, I dance all the time. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, and, and that's that's another myth I think that people have is that, you know, I, I often, and who hasn't felt this? Who hasn't expressed the following? If I ever lost my child, I could, quote, never go on. Yes, I heard end that. Quote. And, yeah. and, and uh, everyone has thought or felt that way. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact of the matter is, that with the proper care and the proper type of recovery work that you do and the proper type of grieving and friends and family mm-hmm. and fellowship that you're living testimony to the fact that not only can you go on, but you can live well right. and happily. Right. And Matt's a part of me. Matt is a part of me. I'm a part of him. So if I were to just lay down and literally die after losing him, he's gone again. He's gone even more. So when I live my life to the best I can, you know, try to be the best wife, and you're right, my grandchildren are, are such a blessing, um, I, it's Matt, too. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's Matt with me doing all these things, too. And, and he would not want me to be on the couch rolled up on a ball, and he certainly wouldn't want me to be an angry person. I don't want to be angry. I'm not angry at God. I'm not angry at anyone. And, I, and when you go through something like this and your life changes for the rest of your life, you do have a choice. There's a choice right at that moment. You can either accept and say, you know, 
I swear that God was literally right there saying, okay, Katie, do you really trust me? Because I'm going to take your son right now. So do you trust me? Or if you don't, you're going to hate me. And if you hate me, you're going to hate everybody else. And I'll just be an angry, burnt up person. And I'm not because I do have trust and I do have faith. My own son told me to have faith. He wrote in that card, keep faith no matter what direction you're going. Gave me a necklace that says faith. How can I not have faith? It's all from that. Katie, you said it beautifully. Um, you know, I, I am honored to be your friend. Um, I have tell you this personally. I want to tell you that on the air as well. Oh, um, I'm honored to know you. I'm on your, honored to know Matthew. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier that one of Matthew's uh, favorite bands was The Temptations. So we're going to take the show out with a great cut as a tribute to Matthew. This is The Temptations Get Ready. I'm Jim Derrick with Katie Truitt saying thanks for listening to Chapters.